Welcome back. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we're here to talk about The Lost World, the sequel to Jurassic Park. And uh, yeah, so we just watched The Lost World. We did. First time in uh, quite a while. Quite a while. Too, yeah. I think we had like a little mini Jurassic Park marathon a few years ago where you and I like stayed up all night. Well, it wasn't even all night. I think we got done before midnight. I think, I think it was just random. Crazy like, turn of events. We, uh, yeah, we just sort of turned the first one on. And we're like, let's, you know, let's continue we'll to see where this goes rolling. or whatever. There's nothing going on tonight. There's nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we both have some thoughts on this movie. <laughs> we, we do. And let me preface it with this. Um, you know, let's let's take the listeners back 20 years ago. 20, 20 years, years ago, ago this year, yeah. going into what was uh, one of the most anticipated films of all time. Put me in your mindset as a 20-year-old. Okay. I mean, 20 years ago. So 20 now you're 40, ago. so when you're 20. <laughs> I guess I would have been about 12, maybe. Uh-huh. But, um, so yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a kid who was eight when the first movie came out. The first movie could do no wrong. Uh, and thus, the filmmakers could do no wrong with the sequel. Well, it comes out, and I think it just didn't meet the expectations of a great majority. Um, The Jurassic Park fan community is... Well, before that, let me get into this. I think once people realized that sequels can possibly not live up to your expectations, neither can prequels. And it was around this time that people started to say, like, oh, no. You know, episode episode one, The Phantom Menace, might not be what we're thinking. It's just naturally going to be. And so... Um, this, you know, it was, it just caused an, an, an uncertain time and thus, uh, ramped up the responsibilities of the people behind the films. Now, excuse me. so the, uh, Jurassic Park fan community is, is a really, really, really good one. I'm very happy to be a part of, and everybody's really just has a lot of fun with it and very supportive. There is a great majority of people in it who think that the lost world is the best film in the, in the series. Um, I personally think as you know, I learned when I watched this, the other night, that uh, it's it's the weakest for me, and I think uh, Jurassic Park three has its own set of weaknesses. You know, so you know, I'm just trying to preface this review before we go into it. I just want to say, uh, you know, don't mean to step on anybody else's opinion. It's just a, you know another opinion, and uh, the film does have a lot of shining moments. It really does, and I'm definitely going to point those out. But um, for the most part, I was I was let down by this film. So with that said, let's. Uh, what, do, what do you got? So to, well, I want to ask you. Take me back to opening weekend or opening night for this movie. Do you remember going to see it in the theater? Can you get, like tell me what yeah. your expectations were and what the night was like? It's occasionally growing up. We we had an event like this. And uh, speaking of episode one, I remember it was the same thing. I got out of school and we immediately went. Um, it was a packed house, uh, not an empty seat in the theater at like three p.m. or something, and. We got in there and sat down and it just, you know, so much energy. I mean, this, there's no way that this film was going to be anything less than amazing, possibly even better than the first. And so that was my expectation. How about you? Yeah. Uh, I want to say that I had just graduated from high school and I went to Florida with a friend of mine and we just kind of hung out at his like grandmother's beach house, just the two of us for like a couple of days, like fishing and stuff like that. And uh, I remember I was coming back in town to see my girlfriend at the time and to see Lost World. And I think I had the Lost World was higher priority than seeing her on the way back. So uh, I remember I was driving back from Florida and then I picked her up and I had tickets I had bought like a week ahead of time to go see the movie. So, you know, we went and saw it. And I think we went to this party at a skate park like afterwards. This was back in the day when like skate parks were like underground garage type things that you had to go to that like I don't even know if anybody owned this building, but there's electricity running and like a punk band playing. Playing. So anyway, uh, I was so excited to see The Lost World, and I get in there, 
And yeah, I had read the book a couple years prior. Uh, I was I not a fan of the book. I thought it was actually pretty weak. Uh, I think I wrote a review of it for the school newspaper at the time. And uh, I get in there, and you know, we start off with a shot of the ocean of this island, and you know, the camera's like on a helicopter going over to it. And it, they, they do something that I hate, that I absolutely hate, uh, when. You've got a sequel that starts off with a title card. Um, excuse me, you have an original movie that starts off with a title card like Jurassic Park does, where it fades up out of blackness and it's just the the letters on the screen over black. Uh, I want every sequel to that to kind of replicate that, right? So this one comes up and we're track. They have this camera shot pushing in on the island and it's just the lettering on top of the island and it looks so just kind of like I don't know. We don't care. We don't care what we're doing. Also, the name of the damn movie. Okay. It needs to be. It's the Lost World colon Jurassic Park. Yeah, it doesn't make it any needs sense. to be Jurassic Park colon The Lost World. Yeah. What the hell were they thinking when they did that? I mean the the book was just it wasn't Jurassic Park The Lost World, it's just The Lost World. Either name the movie The Lost World or call it Jurassic Park. That's the series. Lost World, that's this entry into the series, right? So, off to a bad start already at the beginning of this thing. But um I was hugely disappointed with this movie when I saw it. Uh, and then over time, I saw Jurassic Park 3, I remember, and actually looking back at that more fondly than I had The Lost World because it doesn't feel to me like the proper follow-up to the movie. It feels like they, nobody really cared what they were doing. I'm sure that you know Michael Crichton wrote the book you know, because of the uh, demand for more Jurassic Park after the movie was such a massive hit, but it felt like... You know, he was just kind of trying to take the chaos theory themes and use those again in the movie. I kind of watched this thinking that maybe the ultimate theme of this movie is frailty and kind of just the uh, the frailty of humans specifically. And the fact that like you've got, you know, as humans, we've evolved to dominate the environment around us using tools that we create. Dinosaurs evolved to use their actual bodies. You know, their massive skulls, massive teeth, you know, their superior strength, stuff like that. And when you put those two together, we're both trying to dominate each other uh, by our own terms. Well, when we take it onto an island like Isla Sorna, which is basically like a giant primordial, uh, excuse me, like a prehistoric forest, and these two species are there to battle it out, humans don't stand a chance at all. Once we're put in a situation where we don't have the tools around us or technology, you know, we are the most frail things on the island. So, um, but I kind of like read that going into it and, you know, I just don't think it's a very interesting theme, uh, especially in the way that the story tells it here. I just That's my ultimate problem with this movie. It's just not interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask if that makes it more interesting for you. No, it absolutely yeah. doesn't. The interest that I had in this movie, and I think I've talked about this a few times, is the backdrop of an amusement park. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Scooby-Doo going into the old, uh, you know, broken down house of mirrors to find a, a ghost or something like that. It's like it's an interesting uh, backdrop or setting for it. This is basically just a forest filled with dinosaurs. If this was the first movie, forest filled with dinosaurs, I might be like, hey, that was a pretty cool movie. Well, the second one's in an amusement park. What? No way. And it breaks down, right? It sure does. And the dinosaurs get loose. Holy crap, sign me up. But we went back to this uh, almost a prequel type idea, but it's the actual sequel to the movie. And uh, I don't, it, it just, it, it didn't gel with me at all. So going back and watching it yesterday, what were your feelings on the movie at the time? Just about the same, mm-hmm. you know, um, disappointed. And <clears throat> I think that it starts off promising. I really do. Uh, the whole thing about the rich family on the beach was kind of cheesy, you know, mm-hmm. it, because they were like rich and sort of a little over the top, stereotypical. Um, it was kind of unnerving. You get this child who's attacked by these creatures and then you hear the screams and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden we see a guy yawning 
in front of, which is supposed to match the scream of the mother, and he's in front of this obviously, you know, not the same background. And I remember thinking, like, wait, what? Yeah. What? That's the introduction? A better introduction for Malcolm would have been him just standing in the thing with the scream laying over it, whatever. Yeah. Uh, now, I do really enjoy where they have taken the, the character of Malcolm and his experiences from the first film mm-hmm. and what, what it's done to him, how it's changed him, how that would change anybody, where, where it would have taken him. And it's very realistic. And he gets on the subway and then you see this guy approach him like, hey, you know, you're you or whatever. And then the uh, and an even more poignant moment is when he looks up and there's the three ladies who are looking at him and they immediately awkwardly like look away. And I think that's um that should, that was a much better way to start this movie out than on a gas stupid gag of him yawning. Well, and that's something you were saying about the movie when we were talking about it earlier before we started recording. This movie is really hokey. And it's a lot of like silly little gags like that. You know, we were watching some uh, scenes that were edited out and yeah. it was just kind of like just kind of cheesy like jokes that are they just they're they're cheap. They're easy and they're uninspired, which I think is the the, the, the thing that underscore, underscored this movie yes, for me. They, it's really uninspired. And it's littered with stuff like, okay, so David Kep, makes, uh, the screenwriter, makes a cameo later where the T-Rex runs up and uh, gets him. Mm-hmm. And you hear his scream and it's like cartoony. And I'm like, what the hell? Am I supposed to be laughing? Okay, that's fine. If that's the case, I guess I'll laugh. But yeah. it's out of place and it's, all, it's a little... Hold on, it's a little um, disrespectful in the face of, of, of the first film that had nothing like that and then she runs out of the car at one point she's like do you think it's still behind us and then it breaks through the wall and it's like what the hell there's all kinds of just forced awkward moments like that uh the movie has a lot of just kind of slow human interactions that are just awkward and i don't know where the hell it's coming from mm-hmm. and uh there's one part where vince vaughn that was a you know right we kind of right at the height of his uh you know, his, it was right off of Swingers. Yeah, 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 he was hot. And Malcolm asked him, like, what were you doing? When he's listing all the places that he's shot in, Malcolm says, like, what were you doing in, I can't remember the name of the place, and he looks up and he goes, women. And there's this weird lingering moment that's just so for, for awkward. Like, yeah. what? What? It really takes me out of it. And there's so many moments like that throughout this film. I think we got Julian Moore was coming right off of Boogie Nights and Vince Vaughn was coming right out of Swingers. So it's this thing that they used to do all the time. And, you know, they kind of do it these days, too. But in the 90s, it was like, oh, you were hot in an indie film. We're going to pull you out and stick you immediately into a franchise film, you know, and you're going to make everything better. It's like, no, they're just actors like anybody else. And I I, want to give Julian Moore her credit because I think she's a fantastic actress. Mm -hmm. I love her. All the work she does is fantastic. Uh, But, you know, Vince Vaughn, uh, it can be funny sometimes about wedding swingers or what was it called? Not wedding singers, <laughs> wedding crashers. Wedding crashers. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think they're making a sequel to that. Or they had a Google movie that was the sequel to anyway. Really? Yeah, it was like a commercial for Google. It was called like The Interns or something. I'm getting all these movies confused. There was a Robert De Niro movie called The Intern. Anyway, okay. back to the fact... Uh, Vince Vaughn's basically there just to hawk JVC camcorders, you know, like yeah. he had that little JVC camcorder that had just come out at the time. And I remember thinking like at the time I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. You flip out the side and it, you know, it was held in this weird shape. It's, weird. Yeah. it's so strange. It really is. This, the title of this movie shares, you know, the, the, you know, the, the term world in it. And mm-hmm. years later, we're going to see uh, Jurassic World, which is also going to just be pulling so much commercialism in. Uh, right in your face, kind of, kind of like that. And then you know they've got the new Mercedes in this film, uh, and so you know you, you talk about pulling people who are just fresh out of like these little indie movies and putting them in this, and that kind of what they're doing with directors these days. And they did it with yeah, Paul you're Chimaro. right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, let's, uh, let's yeah. No, Hollywood keeps doing stuff like that. So anyway, let's let's get into the movie. Uh, I, I think one of the big problems this movie has is that okay. So Jurassic Park was great because not only were you seeing this this amazing CGI for the first time, seeing dinosaurs realized on screen, but the movie was an adventure that had a real great pace to it. You know, we've we've talked about on the show several times how when the D- Dennis Nidri subplot picks up, that the movie just starts chugging along at a fantastic pace, and it's really well written. The the call and response to kind of like people asking questions and then it'll lead into the next scene of you know like Nidri doing something uh it, it really trucks along it moves at a, at a really breakneck pace and it keeps you interested in it this movie's slow it's plotting the scenes don't dovetail into each other very well and on top of that they leaned way too heavy on recapturing the magic of showing cgi dinosaurs on screen and you know we've we've already seen that by this point i mean it was great the first time even though the dinosaurs at this point technical from a technological standpoint probably looked better you know there was maybe more computing power in the silicon graphics supercomputer that were rendering on screen, but it just didn't feel the same at all. You know, like the first time you see that Stegosaurus in this movie, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's a Stegosaurus. I guess, I guess I don't really care. I saw a Triceratops in the last one that looked better. Uh, and then we get to see the little baby Stegosaurus, which I really don't think looked any better than the baby uh, Brachiosaur yeah. in the movie Baby. Do you remember Baby? Is this movie in the 1980s about this uh, a Brachiosaurus that's found? Like they found a baby Brachiosaur in the, in the jungle? Uh, no, I don't remember this. That's pretty much it. They yeah. find, I don't I remember much about it either. I saw it, uh, a babysitter took me to see it in the theater when I was like three. You know, it's interesting because everything you're saying was sort of Colin Trevorrow's approach to Jurassic World. You're mm-hmm. not blown away anymore by this thing that's supposed to blow you away. Right. Uh, so, yeah, and then, you know, on, on top of it, we were talking about this earlier. You mentioned Vince Vaughn's character. Julianne Moore, char- her character's fine. Ian Malcolm is clearly the most interesting character in Jurassic Park. Uh, in this one, we have a lot of characters that you just don't really care about. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Keep which, which, in my opinion, we talked about it in Rogue One. That's one of the things I didn't like about Rogue One. I, I thought there were a lot of characters just kind of filling space. In this movie, they were really filling space. You know, it's like, oh, we got this guy with a camera, and he's this and that. Except for one character, uh, Pete Poswick. Pa- Postlewaite? Postlewaite? Yeah. I, I, Pete Postlewaite. <laughs> I, you know what? I could read it. It's not gonna. It's not going to help me at all. Anyway who played Timbo in the movie, the uh, Great Hunter, uh, is actually, I think, a very fascinating character. And the fact that they cut out his original introduction to the movie is a real shame. You know, he's this kind of like, uh, you know, the great white hunter who's gone through Africa and hunted down, you know, like uh, lions and gone to India and hunted tigers. And now this is his last big game that he's not been able to catch. Uh, He gets stuck on the island. There was a a deleted scene earlier where somebody meets him in Mubasa, and I think the guy's name, AJ, was like, hey, I got one last hunt for you. You got to come do this. He's like, oh, I'm bored with hunting. They're like, no, believe me, when you get to the island, you'll want this. And the whole movie, he's trying to track the T-Rex and get the T-Rex. And this movie has a fascinating end for his character. Yeah, keep keep going. Keep he's going he's tranquilized a T Rex. He's sitting on top of it. It happens off screen. We don't really get to see it. They come up to him and they're like, "Oh, you know, you finally got it." And he looks like he could not be more bored with the entire thing. You know, it's uh, it reminded me a lot of the saying about Alexander the Great uh, when uh, you know that uh, Plutarch said that when Alexander the Great saw the breath of his domain, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. That's kind of how I felt it was with him. He's like, "This is it. I'm done. I finally caught the last big thing, and it didn't bring me any joy at all." I think that's actually a misquote by Plutarch, so I don't want to you know <laughs> I don't want to be held to that. Yeah, but it's just kind of his character. It's just kind of like his whole goal in this movie is to finally catch his Tyrannosaurus Rex. He does. It eats his best friend, I think, who yeah. came there with him, and he's sitting there like, "Look at everything." I've tried to track down and it's the only character that there's any thought put into and I have to think it's a lot of Pete Pas- 
Yes, Pete, the character, the actor whose last name I cannot pronounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I uh, but I think he had probably a lot to put into that. So. More of an arc, maybe the only arc of any character in this movie. Yeah, and what a good one! And I think that would would have been the more interesting sequel to Jurassic Park is this guy and the way that this kind of person thinks uh, in the in the face of the whole environmentalism thing that uh, Hammond is trying to do. And this guy kind of starts to see that a little bit. Um, what a ripoff of such yeah. an interesting character that would have had a great build up with this deleted scene you're talking about. I do like the fact that they, if they're going to bring back an original character, I think Malcolm and Jeff Goldblum as Malcolm, because you know, that's what we've talked about made Malcolm such a great character. in the first one was that performance um, was the most interesting option because he's probably the most unlikely character to go back with everything that he had to say about this park from the get-go in the, in the first film. So that kind of ramped up those stakes a little bit. And it, I believed his reasoning for going, that his girlfriend was there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mind. Did they not talk? Like, did he not know that she was there on the island? <laughs> right. You know, it's kind of like, so. oh, yeah. we, by the way, your girlfriend's over yeah. on the island. My girlfriend. It's like, yeah. you, I, have you gone two days without talking to her and she's I, not beating her door down? I can't remember. Now, it would have been very, very, very easy to give us a very unlikely reasoning and scenario on how Hammond was going to get these people to go. But it works. It works. His whole explanation, the whole, all the, you know, material with Hammond in this movie, I believe. And it makes it work for me. And this whole movie could have hinged on the unbelievability of that entire scenario, which gets us into the character of Peter Ludlow, his nephew, who is seizing engine and trying to get Hammond sort of booted out as a CEO and himself put in that place and all of that again makes perfect sense to me i think it's a very cool character by arliss howard and uh he's great in anything i really like him yeah and uh he's taken over for dodson this would have been the character uh, dodson's return in the book and biosyn was going to come back as yeah. as this uh you know force of trying to you know take over the whole jurassic park thing this made so much more sense to me than that so i think this is where this is a particularly shining moment in this movie and i thought it was handled very 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 tastefully very tastefully there is um a, uh there's a great deleted scene where ludlow is in front of the board and i think it's like the second scene in the movie because it actually opens with the guy yawning mm-hmm. and i think that's where they were going to overlay the ladies yawn um but it's kind of an info dump scene on what's been going on since dump, jurassic park yeah. and it's not just like you know some something uh, very easy to understand for kids it's a lot of technical jargon and legal jargon that, and they also reference characters from the first movie that kind of you know bring me back in and say right. you know things i recognize they talk about the lawsuits for Muldoon and the lawsuits Gennaro for Ray and, and Arnold and yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and uh so all of that worked so well and just like the deleted scene the intro you're talking about for Roland Timbo Pete Postlewaite's character uh it's something they should have left in but for the sake of pacing i understand why they had to take it out blah 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 yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Isla Sorna. What are your thoughts on Isla Sorna? I remember when I read the book and I read the concept for Isla Sorna that this was the factory floor, so to speak, where the dinosaurs were created. Yeah. I was instantly bored with it. I was like, oh, this is what the movie's going to be about. I want him to go back. I mean, of course, I want him to go back to the amusement park. That's fine. But just I feel that it's such an uninspired setting for the story. It's also it's like there's another island. That's like in yeah. Return of the Jedi. There's another Death Star. Yeah. You know? Um, I understand why they had to do it if they want to spice it up or whatever, but it doesn't work for me either. I'm, yeah. I'm uninterested in it either, and I probably could have been if they gave me more of a reason to be, and I just wasn't. The factory floor thing where there's more of these things roaming free, that all could have worked on Isla Nublar as well. And, you know, it's very easy for us to sit here and speak about that out of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Oh, we want to go back and see these original locations, something that, you know, they did 
if to uh, too small a degree in Jurassic World, but I'm I'm uninterested in that. Later yeah. on, in the, not to jump too far ahead, later on in the movie, uh, Vince Vaughn, Nick Van Owen, is talking to the pilot of the boat that's going to be dropping them off at the island. He says he won't go any closer because, and I don't know the Spanish translation for it, but they call it the five deaths. Why the hell they call it stupid? One, this stupid, and two, why five? <laughs> yeah. In this chain what, of islands. What's, what's the, the significance of that number? What yeah. is, are there dinosaurs on the other one? We see a pteranodon uh, at the end of the film land. Now, if the license contingency is ineffective anymore, which Hammond mentions, why aren't these things flying flying off? And is that what's bringing them to the other, the five deaths or whatever? They kind of address that in Jurassic Park 3 right at the opening, which I thought was kind of neat. But uh, it just starts posing some some dumb, dumb questions that you can tell aren't all that thought out just for the sake of dropping in a line like, oh, these people are afraid to go yeah. because of said reasoning, whatever. They, that one really stood out, even to me, a 12-year-old who was going into this movie looking for a fun adventure, and I was still like, okay, this is not a good start. This is dumb. Let's talk a little bit about product placement because I think that you know the first movie is a, a pretty big success, but you didn't see product placement all over Jurassic Park. Of course, you saw there were some Apple computers, some Silicon Graphics computers, which were kind of like tied into their you know uh, the visual creation in the movie, and then there was also the Ford Explorers. But even though those Explorers are really made iconic and kind of like given a lot of character of their own. This one is starts off the uh, you know uh, the franchise friendship of Mercedes and Jurassic Park in this movie with. Uh, uh, I don't even remember the guy's name. The guy with the tranquilizer gun that came along with him. Do you remember him? His character's name, yes, but Eddie Carr. But I'm okay. not. Your point is that you don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. I remember who drove a Mercedes. I remember that Vince Vaughn had a JVC camera that he took out of his pocket that was hot at the time. You know, uh, it's those things were kind of like a little bit too prominent. I understand that, like, okay, they they figured that Jurassic, uh, excuse me, that Lost World is going to be a massive success that year. You want to get your product in there and kind of offset some of the costs. So I understand why they tried to do it, but it really was the beginning of just this. I didn't feel like Steven Spielberg's heart was in this thing at all. Yeah, let's fill it up with all sorts of marketing so we can make some extra money off of it. Uh, what's the story? What's the characters? I don't really care. Just the people wanted to see this movie, so let's make this movie for these idiots. And I kind of feel insulted that given the possibilities for what they could have done with the sequel to this movie, that they, they went the route that they did. You know, Saving Private Ryan aside, and I'm sure there's another example I'm, I'm forgetting about, this started a very uninspired uh, moment in Steven Spielberg's career. It really did. And it's you can tell that it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, so this, it, it just, you know, kind of marks the beginning of a very uninspired, very boring period in Steven Spielberg's uh, career. Uh, saving Private Ryan aside, and, you know, it's it's something that I think is still kind of going. Well, he definitely popped out a lot of material after, uh, pretty much after Jurassic Park. He, he got on a, 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 the kick there where he was making, like, two movies a year, and I think some of the stuff really worked, you know. Even the stuff that wasn't that great, like, I think, you know, The Terminal with Tom Hanks was fine, you know. Uh, I think Catch Me If You Can was really good. Uh, I loved my, Very good. Minority Report. I think he did some, wow. actually, some really inspired wow. material there. But, yeah, I guess when you start... I think there's a thing that happens with directors sometimes is they look at their legacy and they're like, oh my God, I'm probably only going to do this for 10 more years. I got to get all the stories out that I want to get. Ridley Scott's in the middle of one of these right now, you know, like just cranking yeah. out like Exodus and stuff like that, you know, the the, the counselor. Um, but I think that uh, 
the uninspired era for Spielberg, it kind of goes in hills and valleys. You know, like he'll do a hook and then he'll do a Jurassic Park and a Schindler's List and then he'll come back and do a Lost World and, you know, something and then a Saving Private Ryan, you know. So it's kind of, it's it's up and down with the guy just because he puts out so much content. But this one felt to me like the most studio mandated, universal calling him up saying, hey, you want to keep the Amblin contract? We're going to need for you to do this. We can get Jeff back for the movie, <laughs> you know. Uh, we can, we, we have Mercedes coming in to offset a lot of the costs. You know, we can shoot in the Redwood Forest and get California tax credits for this thing. Or, or New Zealand or California were the two places they were looking at. So they ended up shooting in the Redwood Forest. And, you know, uh, anyway, it just, it, it, the whole thing felt like studio notes. It felt uninspired. It felt like Michael Crichton's heart wasn't in the material at all. I mean, like, I don't think he ever wrote another sequel to another book that he did, did he, at any point? Well, it's funny because Dragon's Teeth could very well be the prequel to Jurassic Park, too. I would love it if one of those guys goes on to create, like, Engine or something (laughs) like that, you know? So that kind of gets us past the, unless you have anything else about, like, the build up to the movie or the beginnings. Um, that kind of brings us to the island, and you start getting some really just awkward stuff that just doesn't make sense. Like whenever they're looking for Sarah, and you know they're calling out her name, she's like fifteen feet away from him. <laughs> Sarah, yeah, that yeah. whole scene, yeah. And then they, Vince Vaughn jumps up on the log and he's trying to get pictures or whatever. She turns around and she's right there, and I'm just I'm starting to say like, all right, this is just. She should have popped like earbuds out or something. That I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I had sense. my headphones on. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, and but they didn't, and it just makes her really awkward and strange you know beginning to this movie and i remember sitting in the theater going like oh no oh no yeah i really do enjoy um the moments in this film where they are not on the island and they're back in the foreign if you will environment uh that being anything off the island and that's everything that follows malcolm uh, around and you know showing how he has to deal with being this kind of anti-celebrity now and how he's changed and I would have liked a little bit more of that. We did talk about some deleted scenes and whatnot. But um, as soon as they get on the island, like I'm talking about, everything just really starts to hit this forced and awkward feeling. It doesn't have the flow that the first movie did. It doesn't have the pacing, you know, of, of you know, the storms coming in and then Nidri starts the countdown to, you know, when he's going to try to get the stuff off the island and the storm intensifies. And that's when the dinosaurs get out because of what Nidri did. This movie just kind of has like these sequence of almost unrelated events that just kind of happen close to each other. So we've got them finding finding Sarah, her name, right? I just remember as, yeah. as not Julia Louis-Dreyfus, which I want to keep calling her, but Julia Moore. Um, and then we go right to the scene where all the engine trackers come in, and it's like they both chose the same weekend to go to the island, you know? They come in to try to, like, get all, you know, the hardosaurs and everybody with, like, nets and stuff like that. What did you think of that scene? I thought, you know, okay, so I remember thinking it was all pretty lame uh, at first, and when I was watching it the other night, I started to think, okay, this is kind of cool. It's not too terrible, um, now you can tell that some of these vehicles were made to make the toy and you can tell that the whole thing where the seat comes out from the side to the so guy, dumb. It's like, what? It's like, we're going to get you three feet over to the side. Yeah. You know, I could just hang out the side of the car. Yeah, Come exactly. on, Grant, you know, Jim, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we still have a lot of those cars around from Mad Max, uh, you know, so yeah, we can just yeah. like, you know, it's funny. I would think that they would start tying the dinosaurs actually to the front of the car. Like a lot of the guys they did in that. My, um, yeah. So I just thought that was kind of ridiculous, but in light, you know, aside from that, I didn't really have a huge, huge problem with it. Mm-hmm. We do have one of the characters uh, who is played by an actor named Thomas F. Duffy, and his name is Dr. Robert Burke. He's a paleontologist, and he's a clear homage to Dr. Robert Backer, who is uh, an actual paleontologist. He's spoken of in Jurassic Park briefly. The Backer wore a cowboy hat around, right? Yeah, he's yeah, the okay. guy with the big beard. Yeah, if you've ever seen him, he's on the paleontology documentaries, yeah. and he's got a cowboy hat. Yeah. Very entertaining to watch. Uh 
So, okay, there's something else that's done, and it's done to great effect here in this moment where we've got all of the engine crew driving through this field after him. And that is, you saw so much in Jurassic Park, Spielberg hiding the flaws of CG through darkness or flashes of moonlight is when it was really going to be, you were really going to see like where it worked. Mm -hmm. In this film, several times he'll show a dinosaur with the sun right behind them coming down uh, behind the so dinosaur. So you're seeing the shadow mostly, yeah. Well, yeah, you're seeing the shadow, but there's something about how it's in, it's conflicting with the sun that adds to the believability of it mm, and okay. the camera movement and how restrained it is from what you're seeing. I, I don't know the name of the dinosaur. It's got the kind of ball. Uh, I think it's Hardsaur. Yeah, and it hits the side of the guy. I think the so, of the yeah. It's a yeah. pretty cool dinosaur. But there's yeah, a yeah, and that's one thing I don't want to stop you, but no, no, it no, was very cool to see a bigger variety of dinosaurs in this movie as well. I do appreciate the fact that they tried to put more dinosaurs in this. There was a that's scene true. in the book where a Carnotaur... Uh, uh, Carnosaur? I think it's Carnosaur. It's the one from the dinosaur ride in <laughs> Animal Kingdom that chases Carnator- you. Carnotaurus? Hang on. I've got it written down here. You know, we do have a, a couple of paleontologists that listen to the show, and I always... Uh, Carnotaurus, I'm sorry. I always feel like when I get the dinosaur names wrong that they're just like slapping their steering wheel <laughs> yeah. go like, damn it, Crane! Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, so there's a scene in the book where uh, it is uh, 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 able to blend in with its surroundings, like a chameleon almost. And that was kind of a cool scene. But of course, they probably didn't have the technology to do that and just tied it in with the Indominus Rex for Jurassic World. Yeah. So, But anyway, go ahead. Um, you, you were, we were talking about the hardosaur and the uh, dinosaur yeah, that's right. shadow. It's, it's got yeah. like a harness that comes down around its neck to yeah. keep it in place. And I remember seeing that and thinking, damn, this really works. They're really treating the dinosaurs here uh, as a sort of window dressing. And it's mm-hmm. not what's on display in the shot. And uh, yeah, I do give the filmmakers a lot of credit for that, the way that they handled them. Uh, whenever you see the stegosaurus early in the movie, I remember thinking that looks, it just didn't look that great for me. Yeah, And it was too on display, blah, 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 as it needed to be in that moment. But after that, I think all of these CGI dinosaurs work really well. Compies? Com- yeah, yeah, little yeah, the compies uh, look great whenever mm-hmm. they're attacking Dieter, one of our characters, uh, mm-hmm. which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. So let's talk about one thing that I thought worked exceptionally well in this movie is the Tyrannosaurus Rex attack on the accordion-style uh, like uh, science unit that they had there. I, what, what word am I looking for here? The, the, the trailers that are uh, together? Yeah, the... Uh, Mobile homes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, the the mobile science unit. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The MSU, of course. Yeah, when you're talking about <laughs> uh, Mississippi State University. No, so those uh, that scene worked really well for me. I loved it in the movie, and I forgot how well it works. Uh, the pacing of it's so great. Uh, they've got the baby Tyrannosaurus Rex in there. You know, they're banging their heads against it, and then they let the dinosaur out, and they completely like you're like, oh great, nothing's gonna happen. They got rid of it. You know, oh that was kind of tense. We got out of it. Malcolm looks up. Uh, they're coming back, and it charges right into into the unit and pushes it off a cliff. But what, what, what were your thoughts on oh, that scene? Oh my God, best scene in the movie. And it's yeah. unfortunate that the most tense scene in the film doesn't really involve the dinosaurs that much. Uh, and, you know, I say it's unfortunate... Dude, shut up, man. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a classic Michael Crichton scene. Uh, mm-hmm. He puts in stuff like this in all of his... You know, he'll he'll invent some, like, mobile science unit like this and completely make you think that it's been real, you know, around the whole time, the way he describes it. And uh, it's so it's kind of like... It, it is the dinosaurs, but it's also the setting of it as well. You yeah. know, they kind of tie into it. Uh, it's an awesome set. It's an mm-hmm. awesome idea. And then the camera work throughout the entire th- yeah. you know, thing where it's coming over the cliff is... Uh, Phenomenal. There's a part where Eddie has to go through a broken out window through the thing, like through the field, through the thing, and then look down and the camera work is flawless. Yeah. Whenever it's flipping over, 
Uh, it kind of reminded me out of Inception when the elevator is flipping around and the camera's mm-hmm. stationary, but it is not. Um, that entire scene where she's on the glass and it's breaking under her hand and they got to watch the phone from falling. All of that Very was tense. so nerve-wracking. Yeah. 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 Um, I really like that. And then, of course, we have the, the guy up top trying to save him who's torn in half by two Tyrannosaurs. Yeah. And probably the first of, of several brutal killings in this series. But uh, uh, I did enjoy that scene quite a bit. But uh, Something interesting about those uh, T-Rex. On the soundstage, they actually built those two T-Rex on tracks where they weren't going to move. All of the set pieces had to be moved around them. Which is kind of a way of saying, like, listen, let's just save ourselves a whole bunch <laughs> of stress and have these things here. And we'll... and. At first, I was thinking, like, okay, that's kind of a cheap, like, easy way out. But I'm watching it the other night. I started to think, like, guess what? That's how the scene is written. Yeah. Why make it difficult on yourself? And, and well, probably they also looked at the, the problems that they had shooting Jurassic Park. And I'm sure Stan Winston Studios came and said, hey, we're going to avoid all the problems we had with the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the first film. And we're just going to build the set to revolve around it this time. Yeah. And I really wonder how they, they took care of the, uh, the rain, the water getting on the T-Rex and... You know, as they had that big problem in the first film where it started to cause it to shake. Or yeah, whatever. well, I guess now it was a known factor going in. They probably could have built the, yeah. the rig so that they could handle all that. But uh, Let's see. I want to talk about... Um, okay. So Spielberg went from Dean Cundey, who I think was the cinematographer in the first film. One of my favorite things about the first film is the fact that the camera work is not what is fully on display. It's a very nicely shot film. Uh, Janusz Kaminski shot Schindler's List and has shot just about every Steven Spielberg film since then. Maybe all of them. He's a, he's one of the best cinematographers ever, if you ask me. Sometimes I think the movies that he shoots are a little overly primed. Not in the case of, not in the case of uh, anything he's been shooting for Spielberg, really. I got a funny story. There's a friend of mine, this guy, and he was in a band in the 80s, and they were kind of a... It's just pop music or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have a song called I Want to Dance with Phil Donahue, and the video is on YouTube. And I mean, it's very, it's not shot on the um, fanciest of equipment sure. and everything. He's telling me about it and he's showing it to me on my phone. He's like, you know, there's a guy, you might know of him, you're a movie buff, uh, who was the DP for this music video. And he went on to do like some, some cool stuff, I think. I think I've uh, heard that, you know, from friends who were in the band that he went on to have a pretty substantial career. Something Kosminski, Yanis Kosminski or something like, <laughs> you Kaminsky. are kidding me. He was like, Janusz Kaminski. Yeah, Janusz Kaminski, that's... That's it. That's the guy. And I've just about freaked out. And he said he was this cool guy. He was just a film student or whatever. And uh, and so, I don't know. That's my uh, 15 minutes of fame <laughs> in life. I said I met a guy who once knew him. <laughs> once shot a music video. But uh, yeah. I do think it's a um, very, very, very well shot film. Yeah, and I have no qualms with you that. See, yeah. yeah, and you see the separation between the first and second film through that. Uh, I also want to talk about the score. John Williams' music is, I can't really hum any of the themes, whereas in the first film, I know I'm yeah. Like the back of my hand. Uh, it does have a good score. It is what it is. It's got very like adventure like King Kong almost kind of themes in it. Uh, so there are things that Spielberg is doing. I say Spielberg. The whole creative team are doing to separate it from the first film. And I got to give it to him for that. But I also think that that hinders the film in a, in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. You see that at the very beginning of what you were talking about. What? No, I was thinking like they could have said like, oh, we're going to make it as far from Jurassic Park as we can. It's going to be it's on a space, space station. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's the first place I, I go. tell you what, some of the original ideas for a fourth installment sounded ridiculous. Oh my like God, that. half human, half dinosaurs yeah. and dinosaurs fighting drug dealers. Something yeah. like that. But anyway, you start to see this uh, early in the film. Like you were talking about something that bothered you and the fact that the titles are not over black yeah, screen. Uninspired, uninspired. So you kind of start to get that 
distancing at first. And for some, it may work. For me, it hindered it. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about the, I guess I'm thinking of anything else that happened in the movie before the big scene there at the end. The only thing I can think is that the idea for a San Diego park sounded like absolute crap. I mean, it was just like one little arena, you go and sit down and then they bring a Tyrannosaurus Rex out. Now I'm going to tell you if that was a real thing, I would pay like upwards of $300 to sit and watch 15 minutes of a, of a Tyrannosaurus get, you know, eat a cow in the middle of the thing and be like, Oh my God, this is crazy. But given what we've seen in the first movie, it seems like the idea that they're going for there is just really half-assed. And on top of that, they bring the concept art for this crap, including a full-scale model of the whole thing, to Isla Sorna, and they have it set up in their little engine, like, tent area, you know? Like, they go into the show, and it's like, would you guys actually took the time to bring your model and, like, drop it down here to show everyone, like, where the Tyrannosaurus Rex was going to be? Like, did you need that, like, one-third scale there to be like, oh, well, how big is the dinosaur? We have to readjust our model now to get it, to get the model in here. It's just, it's dumb. It's stupid. Okay, the amphitheater. So that was, for anybody who probably didn't put it together when they saw the movie, before John Hammond and InGen built Jurassic Park on Isla Nublar, he had plans to put it in an amphitheater in San Diego where they were going to have some dinosaurs just kind of come out, walk around the thing, uh, and that was it. The structure for this thing, the unfinished structure, is still sitting there on mainland United States, and it probably, I don't know if it has the words Jurassic Park written anywhere on it, but do you think that there is a board of directors, investors or something like that who were all gonna see the words dinosaurs on paperwork prehistoric animals jurassic park and all this and then suddenly it's this big top secret when the first one's being made wouldn't they have said like wait i was a part of this thing one time they got abandoned this project this is my same problem for batman begins when his entire science division is working on the tumbler and then they addressed it in the dark night by having one guy be like wait a minute i replied science's division made this damn yeah. thing now we're saying i'm putting two and two together here uh, yeah, at some point you have to file stuff with the city. I mean, you got to file for the electric grid, you know, the HVAC stuff. You got to file for like all the water going into the place. It's the, the purposes have to be filed with San Diego, unless you pay off some sort of top level official, which I guess engine could have. It's not beyond the pale for them to try to do something like that, but we kind of need that explicitly stated in the story. You're bringing up a really good point here. Yeah, that land has to be pro- bought. It's, it's, it's seafront. It's like seafront property too, right? It's like right there some, yeah, <laughs> on, exactly. by the bay. That's not exactly cheap area and so i don't mind it I, I think it was a cool way for peter ludlow the new ceo to say like okay this is our our project you know yeah. and he, i guess he very well could have said we're going to build a facility blah 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 so i didn't mind it so much but it's like they could have addressed the fact that there were a board of investors something like that people who were paid off to not talk about it right and that's all i would have needed um <laughs> Kind of stupid. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. But let's talk about... Do you want to talk about this whole last scene in the movie? The whole Tyrannosaurus Rex? Because there's something here that I'm pretty sure you and I have talked about before. Yeah. I never had to make an eye contact. It just makes no damn sense. It's uh, like Last Voyage of the Demeter coming into the bay. How did the Tyrannosaurus Rex get off the boat and kill everybody on the damn thing? Ludlow walks in when the boat crashes into the dock. And lodges itself and sees like a, a hand or something yeah. hanging from a thing. Well, the whole crew's How gone. How in the hell did the T-Rex, who's a big old thing, get in, get its way into all these like small little um, corridors to eat these things very specifically? And, and I mean, that's what's implied, right? Like, how I do you have so. all these did, dead people like on raptors there? raptors that got on there too or something? That is the <laughs> biggest mistake in this entire franchise, I think, is the inability to answer that question. Yeah. Or, excuse me, posing that 
that thought and then not. It's like the egg on the Sulaco at the beginning of Alien 3. How to get there? Oh, we're never going to tell you. You have movie magic. You're thinking too hard about it. It's like, no, you didn't think hard enough about it. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, But uh, so anyway, then the damn thing gets off the boat and it turns into a freaking Godzilla movie. And it does the the unforgivable act of having a dog Mm. die. So that movie automatically falls down like five stars in my star was Yeah, I thought that was one of those cool mean moments or whatever. But it doesn't work in light of the fact that the whole rest of that second... You know, you could kill a human being and I'm fine with it. You could kill the child, and yeah. I'm fine with it. You kill an indefensible golden retriever, and I'm I'm throwing my popcorn down and walking out of the movie. Yeah, it's just uh, and it, 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 is the entire San Diego and mainland sequence played for last because I'm lighthearted through the whole thing and thinking that it's funny, and I don't know that that's the point. Now something <laughs> happens that actually literally offends me, and there's things you're talking about the dog, and we're, oh, yeah. we're joking about like being offended and everything. There is a moment where some uh, Japanese men are running, and one of them says with the, subti- uh, with the subtitles, I came to America to get away from this kind of thing. And every time I see that, I, I get kind of It's offended. so fourth wall breaking. It's so racist. It's yeah. so it's kind of like if this was in uh, Gremlins 2, I might accept it or something. But this is the point where you can really look at it and be like, Steven Spielberg didn't give a shit, you know, like on I, this I movie. So. I think so. Yeah. I, I really do, because I think a guy who is uh, tactful and classy as that would not let something like that into a movie of his, and it's there. And well, I am- and you know, it's it's ultra offensive too because Steven Spielberg is a guy who's made several films out there that are staunchly about, uh, you know, the the end result of racism. Schindler's yeah. List, the entire thing is about yeah. like you know dehumanizing and turning someone into another, and like look what the you know the Holocaust was. And then he has this joke about, oh, I came, you know, it's just it's. Turning this guy into a trifle, the, this Japanese businessman, you know, same year that he releases Amistad, yeah, and then he goes in, and whether this was like fully his idea or not, uh, he still let it be in the movie, and that guy has the pull enough to say, "I'm sorry, yeah. this is too offensive." It's extremely disappointing, and I try not to let stuff like that really get to me when I'm watching a movie and having a good time, but that that's that's kind of the moment also, where I want to stop the movie. It's a stupid joke. It's, it's, not it's, it's not, not funny. It's not funny at all. It's like, oh, you're making a Godzilla joke. Like, yeah, it'd be funnier if the Tyrannosaurus Rex was was put up against buildings almost to scale, like he was stomping through everything, like Godzilla would have. Yeah. Like, I get it. I get the visual reference there. I don't need for you to dumb it down for me by having a and, Japanese guy turn around and, and say that to do it in such an offensive way. We try and make this as like as family friendly show as we can, but there well, are but there are a few where, things that just kind of irk. Yeah, yeah. and I kind of want to yell out some like explicit, but um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, I think the listeners get our point when we say that's like a legitimately very offensive moment in this movie. Somebody might be able to tell me to to get a little, you know, just lighten up a little bit, but I I can't, man. We talked for a second about it like being almost a meta joke like Gremlins 2, and they do a very much a meta joke in the same vein as Last Action Hero, and that is you see a shot of the inside of a blockbuster theater and you see Arnold Schwarzenegger in King Lear. I think the blockbuster video story. Yeah, blockbuster <laughs> video. Yeah. What? 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 what did I call it something else? Uh, blockbuster video? theater. Uh, I mean, anyway, whatever. blockbuster yeah. video store, and you see a standee for Arnold Schwarzenegger and King Lear, which is funny because they made that same joke Arnold Schwarzenegger and Hamlet in Last yeah. Action Hero. Yeah. So uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> it made this was some dumb fan theory about there. Like, oh, the end of that movie didn't actually happen. It's actually like a fantasy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This King Lear thing is in Lost World. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. In in the scene in the blockbuster, it's, you see, it's like a known topic. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, you have something. Okay, no. um, that last action hero came out the same summer <coughs> as uh, Jurassic Park. I never put that and together. It got yeah, li- like just stomped. Well, on. it was the big thing. It was going to be like Jurassic Park versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. They yeah. were like a few weeks apart from each other. It's like who's going to be the summer movie that dominates? And it wasn't even. Yeah, uh, and 
I think it's a pretty clever idea for a movie. It was it had all the makings of a massive success, and Jurassic Park just completely it was way ahead of its time. Over. And it also yeah. had the uh, the Shane Black uh, wrote the screenplay for it, and Did then he? yeah, and then uh, and then had some punch up work done by God rest her soul. Carrie Fisher wrote the damn You're thing too. Me. No, I'm completely serious. I didn't know watch that. rewatch Last Action Hero. It is a movie that everybody needs to go back and rewatch. Yeah, see, now. I haven't seen that in years, but um. Charles Dance is in it, and he's the man. Uh, he's Anything the man. He's Tywin Lannister, man. So I'm wondering if that is some kind of a reference to that, and that would be It has to be. It's so. kind of, probably yeah. kind of their dig at him, yeah. Because, you know, if you remember thing... in Last Action Hero, he falls in the Labray tar pits and comes out, and there's dinosaurs everywhere, too. Okay, so. yeah. Okay, so the T-Rex and his uh, destruction crushes into this thing, into yeah. the stand. Come on. That's, well, there's no I, way that was At intended. least you see some people run inside the blockbuster, I think, and trying to get yeah. away from it. So, yeah. Um, it's right before he headbutts a, a, a um, bus. So here's the thing. Uh, at one point, I think a couple years ago, the Jurassic World, there was a rumor coming out, I think because some animatics got out, that it was actually going to be about dinosaurs getting into California. Do you remember this? No, no, no. Yeah, there was some animatics or something that came out, and it looked as you, we all know that Jurassic World went through like uh, almost 20 straight years of like different rewrites, you know, of like what the concept was going to be. And uh, one of these, I can't remember which website it was, had some animatics, uh, some, some pre-renders of uh, like really crude looking pteranodons flying close to the beach and there were like some surfers running away from it or yeah. something like that and i was kind of thinking about it, i was like now is the time for the the dinosaurs invade uh america story i wouldn't mind seeing the dinosaur apocalypse right now completely i would love to see that dinosaurs run through earth the truck the dinosaur hunter type thing right the biggest problem i had with that being at the end of lost world was that it was a cheap gag at the very end of the movie when it could have been the entire concept for another trilogy of movies, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And I think when I was watching the movie, I remember watching it and being like, okay, so I have to back up and say this. Before I went to see this movie, uh, our older, uh, your older brother, my younger brother, Hunter, yeah. went to see this at a midnight feature the night, right, before. the night before. Yeah. And I remember he comes up to me and he's like, I saw The Lost World. And I was like, how was it? And he goes, I don't want to spoil anything, but T-Rex <laughs> in New York or whatever. And I was like, yeah. How, that is absolutely a spoiler. And like, yeah. so I was, I was like, he would do that I, I was like, he can't, I mean, like Hunter's not the kind of guy who would want to spoil something for me. Yeah, There's yeah. no way. So I was denying that that was going to be the end of the movie up until I was actually seeing it. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, well, first of all, he spoiled it for me. Secondly, I was like, there's no way they're stupid enough to actually make that the end of the movie. And it is done as a gag. And then there's yeah. some, there's some cool, whenever we do this kind of stuff, you know, we like to get our hands on as much behind the scenes material as possible to get our notes together. Yeah. Uh, I think at some point in, one of the retrospective documentaries on the Blu-ray special edition, Spielberg says that it was something he like always wanted to see and everything. That's it? That's your reasoning? Yeah. No. Well, I mean, if he wanted to see it, it could be done in a cool way. This was not done in a cool way. Yeah. It was done as like... I mean, they were just throwing away like really cool gags, you know, like like the Tyrannosaurus Rex. I think actually smashing into the bus was really cool looking. Yeah, you know, some of it, it was going really through the suburbs. I mean, eating the dog. I'm like, oh, it's unforgivable. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like the idea of the kid looking out and seeing a Tyrannosaurus Rex in his backyard and then telling his parents they didn't believe him—that's funny, you know. At a different movie. In a, a in a different, different movie. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, in this, it's just one of those things. It's like, am I am I asleep right now? <laughs> like what now, the if hell? the next movie is them in the middle of Texas and then all of a sudden raptors break out and it's like tremors, but it's raptors instead instead of some sort of small town and they're trying to quarantine it off or something like that's cool that can be its own movie but at the end of this it was just it was a cheap j- gag and it was like you said you know had some jokes in it that were you know think about it like this before mm-hmm. we get to the mainland um we get roland timbo pete postlewaite's character saying i'm sorry i'm i'm out of this you know i've had a, a complete change of heart i don't he says i've spent enough time in the company of death which i think is a very interesting line and then he walks off and that's a story and that was a great ending you get uh, 
so Vince Vaughn's character and Sarah Harding, uh, it was Nick Van Owen, are the environmentalist. They're a little team. And mm-hmm. he goes and takes the bullets out of the gun that was going to kill the T-Rex. So they've, they've done their little mission. So their arc is kind of over, if you will. All you had to do was give Ian and his daughter, and maybe Hammond, a little bit more of a, a leave-off, and that movie would have made it, served its purpose. It would have made its point. Environmentalism, you know, Hammond's whole reason for starting this whole thing in the first place, curtain drops, everybody go home, wait for Jurassic Park 3. Yeah. Uh, but instead we get this just strange thing that was stapled onto the end of this movie for the sake of fulfilling somebody's idea of, well, this is something that I've always wanted to see, and look what it does. Yeah, you know, we're sitting here twenty years later talking about how stupid it was, and that, yeah. like I said at the beginning, well, it, of the was, show, it was it was a big disappointment. It was the kickoff to the '97 summer season as well, you know, and it uh, it definitely was one that kind of like it really soured my mood. I think for the rest yeah. of that summer, I couldn't go and see uh, Batman and Robin after that yeah. because I was so upset. I, I do want to say something too. At the very beginning of the show, I said that I I don't want to step on anybody else's opinion of this movie, but then, you know, this is a review; it's opinionated show. Sure. Um, and when I say something like it's stupid, I want to rephrase that. I just it's something that just did not work for me. It really is disappointing. Me it was very disappointing. Uh, I don't mean to use the, the term stupid at all. It's disappointing. It's, you know, as people that really liked the first movie, I kind of felt offended that it was kind of like, oh, we just got your money on this one, sucker. You know, like, it, you know, it, I felt like a lot of people were just like, you know, doing it cheaply, you know. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the box office for the movie. So it had a massive opening weekend, $72,132,785 opening weekend. Now, that's just the uh, three-day weekend. It happened to fall on Memorial Day, so it actually made $92.6 million in, over a four-day weekend. In 1997. Weekend. And the budget was under $100 million, Whoa. so it made the majority of its money back in a four-day period. And that's in the United States. So uh, it held on to this record for four and a half years until the release of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in November of 2001. Uh, it took the record for the highest single-day box office take at $26,083,950 on May 25th. It was a record that was held until the release of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, so it was able to hold on to that for a couple of years. Uh, it also became the fastest movie to pass the $100 million mark, so it's probably like on day on, on, on day six, uh, achieving the feat in just six days. So, well, like I said, uh, but it did not surpass Jurassic Park's box office. So the fall off on this movie was was pretty quick. It was a one and done. I think I, I saw Jurassic Park like in the theater like four times. I think that that summer, this movie I just saw the one time, and I was like, I'm done. Uh, I've also got this girlfriend over here I can go hang out with. I'm just going to spend my time with her instead, which led to me going to see Titanic, which was the movie that actually beat Lost World out in 97 for the highest grossing film of that year. So you remember, actually, uh, Titanic was supposed to come out that summer. And then it got pushed back to that December. I wonder if this had something to do with it. Uh, it might have, or it might have been more post-production work yeah, or something true. like that. Yeah, so, yeah. The legacy of this movie, uh, it won uh, Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards in 1998, but it also won... Uh, at the Razzies, worst remake or sequel, worst reckless disregard for human life or public property, and worst screenplay at the Razzies that year. And you know, I don't really like the Razzies. I think they're a little bit too. I you know, we've talked about this before. Really praise the things you like. You know. Uh, disregard the things that you don't but of course on this we wanted to come out and talk about all the jurassic park stuff that surrounds it and you know uh our opinions are our opinions if if you like the movie that's fine you know everybody's entitled to their own opinion but the razzies are a little bit harsh in in the way they deal with it, stuff. it can get a little you know ridiculous. it's not like worst screenplay yeah. it's like I, I don't think this is the worst screenplay so much as it was the one that had the most potential that it didn't live up to the jurassic park um fan community online is a really interesting one it's a, it's great actually uh, and there's a particular website, and they have their own podcast, and they are Jurassic Outpost. That's JurassicOutpost.com, and they have their own series of uh, podcasts, which they call the In General Podcast, which I think is pretty clever. Um, those guys are 
I mean, every time they come up with an episode, I'm like, oh, here we go. Yes, sir. We're going to download this and listen to it all day. And they're huge fans of The Lost World and say that, uh, I think it's it's just about the majority of them, not all of them, uh, praise The Lost World and say that it is the uh, their favorite film in the franchise. So this film does hold a very special plate, uh, place <laughs> in, place in, uh, in hearts of the fans of this franchise. Mm-hmm. And I'm always very interested in that, in that notion. Yeah. I'm always interested to hear why. But for, for anyone who is, who is a Jurassic Park fan uh, or just coming into a liking of Jurassic Park, definitely check out the JurassicOutpost.com uh, website. Yeah, I'd like to see what they have to say about it because it's, it's always cool to have a different you know opinion or view of something like this, especially something that you don't like. Maybe it's a good idea to go back and take a look at it. So, uh, But yeah, you got anything else to say about the Lost World? I actually do. I actually do. Some stuff that we kind of uh, just skipped by in here. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of side characters that I'm, I guess I'm being told I should know their names or follow along with them. And mm-hmm. I just don't care. Yeah. There's the, this character of Dieter who's on the, uh, engine team. And he's just this mean guy that's set up for someone that they want to have a character, a bad guy for us to enjoy seeing him kind of get his own, get a taste of his own medicine. He's the guy who gets attacked by the copies. And it's just like a freaking overly long scene of him getting attacked. And I can't, I can't, you know, I know the character's name because I had to study up on the movie and take notes and everything. But otherwise I would not be able to tell you, where I first saw this character in the movie, why I'm supposed to, to really invest in hating him. There's a couple other characters like that who it just, it's, it, this film is so bloated and I can, t- there's just too much going on. There's, it's, there's just too much dropped in. And yeah. And that he was, frust- it was played by uh, Peter Stormare too. Right, who's well, a great yeah, actor. If you put him guy. with the right material, he can be either funny or terrifying. Yeah. So it's a disappointment for, to have him and, uh, you know, just kind of not utilize his full uh, potential. Yeah. Right. And we do get some other supporting characters like the, um, paleontologist guy uh, mm-hmm. earlier who, uh, is Dr. Burke, um, and who gets killed in the waterfall, which I thought was a great sequence in the original novel, Jurassic yeah, Park. Yeah. I'm glad that they put it in here and it works. Uh, so you get that other side character and that, that scene that worked. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, another thing that I wanted to touch on was, uh, the cameo by Bernard Shaw, who was a, a news anchor for CNN mm-hmm. right there at the end. I thought that was kind of neat. And let's yeah, see. The very ending of this movie reminds me of the ending of the original Iron Man movie. Uh, you know, where he's like, I am Iron Man. Like everything's exposed there at the very end. Yeah. You know, like John yeah. Hammond comes in and says, yep, there's dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, that was the way, you know, okay, so that would have been the right way to end Malcolm and Hammond's little story is by saying, yeah, okay, there is a preserve. Hammond's desire to document this preserve and make it sort of a just a cutoff area in the world that they're not going to disclose where it is was the purpose of the whole beginning of this movie. Why not just have it in there instead of having the big run through San Diego thing? That might make for an interesting fan cut, to be honest with you. So with all of that said, in closing... Give me your final, unless you've already kind of given them to us here. Do you have any final thoughts 20 years out on this film and where it fits in the franchise? I feel like Timbo, after he had uh, had paralyzed the Tyrannosaurus Rex and he's sitting on the top of it, he's kind of like, that's it? Uh, you know, Timbo's just kind of sitting on top of the Tyrannosaurus Rex like, well, I guess that was a thing that happened and now I'm off. You know, it's just kind of like uh, going back and watching it. There's some parts that I like about it, but overall I just kind of, you know, just think like what could have been. You know, uh, this yeah. was really a stumbling bo- block on what could have been uh, Star Wars for that particular generation. And it wasn't because of cheap uh, cash out uh, yeah. for uh, some high level people at Universal. That's yeah. my thoughts. I, I agree. I think 20 years out and uh, it's still something that doesn't work for me. 
Uh, we've got to kind of end the review on a sour note, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, I am Kyle. I'm Brady. And until next time, hold on to your Patreon. <laughs> until next time, <laughs> until next hold time. on to your butts. <laughs> well, but this is the Patreon episode. We see something right, different right, for this, right? let's, let's figure this out. Let's figure this out. In- <laughs> until next time. Mahalo. Mahalo. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone. Later. I also want to mention that yesterday, uh, J.A. Boyana did in Bayona. Bayona? Okay. J.A. Bayona? Mm-hmm. I also want to mention that yesterday, J.A. Boyana... Bayona. Bayona. Okay. Yeah. I also want to mention that yesterday, J.A. Boyana... That's <laughs> all right. You want to write it down? No. It wouldn't help. I mean, I'm reading it right here. Bayona? Bayona. Bayona. J.A. But It's the A coming off to... <laughs> J.A. Boyana. Bayona. How about I say? So there was some news yesterday about J. A. Bayona. You were telling me about. Uh, I, 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 no, I, I, I have another way of doing it. Okay. <clears throat> so yesterday on Reddit, the director of Jurassic Park Two actually did an AMA of what? Jurassic World Two. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. Okay. <coughs> so after I say Jurassic World Two, you say the director's name. Okay. So yesterday, the director of Jer- uh... <laughs> 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 Okay. All right. One more time.